Hello, everyone. We welcome you to our Saturday morning Bible study. We're so glad you could join us today on the Saturday morning. We are recording from the North Star Cottage today, and our moderator is Thomas from New York. Welcome, everyone. Christ comes again with holy power to lift our blinded eyes to see the sick are healed, the sinner blessed, and as on that eve in Galilee, once more the lonely heart is fed, who dwells with love hath perfect ease. Faith, hope, and joy are with us all. Great are companions such as these. The weak and thirsty are refreshed. Again, each empty cup is filled. The tender Christ is here to bless, and all the storms of earth are stilled. In truth, there is no pain or death, nor any shades of coming night. The promise of our God still stands. At eventide, it shall be light. That was hymn 34 from the Christian Science Hymnal 1932 edition. Uh, the words by Marion Susan Campbell. Such a beautiful hymn. So beautiful. Yes. I love that faith, hope, and joy are with us all. Great companions such as these. We never have to think we're alone. We have these great companions with us all. So such a head. The weak and thirsty are refreshed. Wonderful. Well, I thought it was great to think of faith as a companion. Yes. Hope as a companion. Mm -hmm. And joy is our companion. I what guess, other companions could you need, right? Well, That's yeah. It. yeah. And we're never without them. Never. Mm -hmm. And that Mary and Susan Campbell, she was um, Mrs. Evans' mother, Alice White. Mary and Susan Campbell was her teacher. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you can see the sweetness of her soul in these words. And we've had some of her articles in The Liberator. She, she writes very beautifully from some time ago. I don't know what her, what time, but. I wouldn't call her an early worker, but maybe soon after that. Yeah. The clear understanding that was fairly common in the Christian science movement at that time. And it's, you know, it's a legacy of Mrs. Eddy, obviously. One phrase that meant most to me was, who dwells with love hath perfect ease. So I found that very helpful because if you have to deal with the harsh noises of the day, this is the antidote to it. Where do we have our trust and confidence? And it's in God who is love. And if we have that, then all these other things melt away. And we have that sense of ease that is our God-given right. 
again, where do we dwell? <laughs> Psalm 91, right? Yeah. And I, I love the line, nor any shades of coming night. There's, if you're living with science, there is no need for any anxiety. There's, there's nothing bad coming. So. It's beautiful. Yeah, at even tide, it shall be light. In the, you know, uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, well, thank you for telling us about Mary and Susan Campbell. Um, I, I, when I thought that this hymn, I really liked the words a lot. So I wanted to know more about her. And frankly, I couldn't find much about her. Um, but I thought these words were beautiful. So I think it'd be great if we could pull together whatever information we have of her and we could post it in the notes on this, uh, Bible study, like, you know, like we put notes in afterwards, right? Um, but I just thought this hymn was very special. It is very special. I, I found this um, in Spurgeon, which kind of it relates this hymn to our topic, the, the Samaritan woman. The article was the Samaritan woman and her mission. And Spurgeon says, behold, our Lord and master with divinely skillful art, seeking after a single soul. We must have large congregations or we, or we are disinclined for soul winning. The habit of the age is to do nothing but what is ostentatious. Every work must be with a beat of a drum or the sound of the tambourine. I pray that the Lord may work in us the steadfast desire to do good on the quiet, by stealth, when no one looks on, when not a single disciple is near, oh, that we may have such an estimate of the value of a single soul that we can count whole days well spent to bring one fallen woman, one drunkard to the Savior's feet. Blessed is he who works on, though he is never heard of, and looks for his reward from his master. In the heat of the day, the Lord Jesus found rest and refreshment in speaking to one who many would have scarce looked upon, except with eyes of scorn. Oh, the compassion of the Redeemer's heart. That's beautiful. Yes. Uh, it is, and that it relates to this hymn. But we use this hymn of the Weather Committee, too. You do? We recommend it, yeah. yeah. Once more, the lonely heart is fed. So, so thank you, Thomas. That was a beautiful way to start. Anyone else? So, so just curious, but um, I thought maybe I'm incorrect, but. Marion with an A is typically for a woman. This is Marion with an O. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. right. And um, and Mrs. Evans, she named her daughter Marion like that with an O. Um, I've noticed that too. I think it's somewhere else. It might be in the Bible that Marion with an O. In uh Go ahead. Uh, in Germany, there are quite a few people with Marion, Marion with an O as well. So 
I think it comes from many sources. Thank you, yeah. Are you thinking of Miriam? Miriam is in the Bible too. Right, Miriam. Mm -hmm. Maybe Marion isn't, I don't know, but um, I, I felt like there was, I'd seen Marion with an O somewhere. But yeah, certainly with. Well, in our church, we had one. Yeah, Marion. Mrs. Evans' daughter. Yep. Yeah, Marion. It's a beautiful name. <laughs> well, I didn't know that, again, the Plainfield Church had such a, like, a close connection with Mary and Susan Campbell. Uh, we really ought to include some information about her. I'll, I'll collect it. <laughs> that would be good. Uh, I couldn't find anything about her. I mean, virtually nothing. L Linda, I think she wrote an article in the Sentinel, but that was about it. She has written. We have had her. I don't know if she's written any other hymns, and I don't know anything more about her. I just I just happened to remember that Mrs. Evans told me that. She didn't tell me anything else. I don't know where she's from or but um but yeah, you can see her beautiful soul coming through in those words of the hymn. There are others that we wish we knew more about their background, like Peter V. Ross. And uh it's evident that these people uh, did not want to promote themselves, but rather the message. So, and that's where we know them best. Thank you. He's in there. Yeah. Although Bruce did find oh. some information about Peter B. Ross, but we'll talk about that another time. Go ahead, okay, Tom. Good. All right. So our topic today is give me this water. So that is from uh, John um, chapter four, verse 15. I think it's just a wonderful topic because here's someone who's asking for the truth. Give me this truth. Oh. Give me this water. The topic and our readings are uh, from John chapter four, verses one through 43. Um, and then our first question is, why did the Jews not have dealings with the Samaritans? So this is from John chapter 4, verse 9. Uh, so the Jews seemed to interact with the Samaritans, but they didn't have dealings with them. So what does that mean? Well, there's some history there. Um, the Samaritans received only the five books of Moses and rejected the writings of all the prophets and all the Jewish traditions. So the Jews really didn't think favorably. In fact, the Jews regarded them as the worst of the human race. So the Samaritans thought that their, uh, their temple at Garrison was the divinely only divinely appointed place for sacrifice. So that was another contention too between the two. Um, in, oh sorry. Also in the as far as that they only got the, the first five books of Moses, some of them incorporated beliefs from their other religions into uh, quote the religion uh, in of the Samaritans, and that was another reason was why they didn't 
want to have anything to do with him because they had adulterated the Jewish religion. I read the same thing about the uh, Greeks had a great influence on them, a pagan influence, and that really upset the Jews, also the Romans, and then other people that conquered their area had an influence of what the Jews saw as a negative pagan influence. I read that too, that the Americans um, were idolaters, and um, that may be why Jesus, to the woman, we worship God in spirit um, as opposed to matter, which the Samaritans apparently were. Well, that, and there also, it's mentioned in, in uh, some notes about when Nehemiah was trying to rebuild Jerusalem, the Samaritans had some <laughs> interesting uh, situations with that where they were more of a hindrance uh, and uh, their motives were suspect. And so the Jews did not trust him at all at that point. I also read that um, the Jews thought they knew the nature of God. No, they knew the nature of God and the Samaritans didn't. So, Karen sent me a few things from, you know, that got questions. <laughs> um, I found this interesting. The Jews, after their return from Babylon, began rebuilding their temple. While Nehemiah was engaged in building the walls of Jerusalem, the Samaritans vigorously attempted to halt the undertaking. They were the ones who were telling him to come down from the wall, Sanballat and all those. I didn't realize that. And then also... Samaria became a place of refuge for all the outlaws of Judea. The Samaritans willingly received Jewish criminals and refugees from justice. The violators of the Jewish laws and those who had been excommunicated found safety for themselves in Samaria, greatly increasing the hatred which existed between the two nations. And then also I found that Jezebel influenced Ahab to make Samaria the center of Baal worship. And Jezebel had many of the Lord's prophets killed in Samaria. And from these causes arose an difference between them. So that the Jews regarded the Samaritans as the worst of the human race and had no dealings with them. In spite of the hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans, Jesus broke down the barriers between them, preaching the gospel of peace to the Samaritans and the apostles later followed his example. And then, I don't know, I got this it's huge, it must weigh 10 pounds, but it's called Holman's Illustrated Bible Dictionary. And I thought this was so interesting because it talks about um, Jesus, however, rebuked his disciples for their hostility to the Samaritans, Luke 9. Healed a Samaritan leper, Luke 17. Honored a Samaritan for his neighborliness, Luke 10. Praised a Samaritan for his gratitude, Luke 17. Asked a drink of water from a Samaritan woman, John 4, which is what we're studying. And preached to the Samaritans, John 4. Then Jesus challenged his disciples to witness in Samaria. And Philip, a deacon, went and proclaimed the gospel in Samaria. 
Acts 8. So here, amidst all that hatred, and, and you know, you can see maybe justified, maybe not, I don't know, but Jesus went to, to restore peace. He wasn't have, having none of it. Um, and you'd think if that was being practiced now in our nations, and it should be, because these are the teachings of Christ, we would be so much farther along um, in, in our bringing in our millennium and having peace in our hearts and our homes. Um, so it's really something. And, and those of you that have been watching season four of The Chosen, you know, it brought out how, how the Christ made peace between Matthew and Simon Peter. Simon, Simon Peter, yes, on an individual level where they were hating each other, couldn't seem to come to terms. They both seemed to have reasons to hate each other. But again, Jesus was having none of it. Well, he said, he said he came to break the barriers. So I think he, that's what he was doing. Yes, he did. So I, I can see that. Thank you, Tom, for the very importance of this story here for today and for now, because when we see it in our country, everybody riled up on different political sides or whatever and seeming to be no uh, solution to it. Well, there is. is the real American. Yes. You're, you know, just, that's a very horrible division. It is. It's very horrible. Well, I was when I was researching about it, I came across the term the Samaritan schism. And apparently that there have been like eight or nine schisms in Jewish history that between different groups or whatever. And this one that said started when the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom and came in and got rid of all of the leadership that was there and put their own in and then started making this really watered down uh, Jewish faith that then, you know, was was ripe for Baal to come in and everything too. So Thank you. I just found that like really fascinating how malicious it was that they, you know, they knew what they were doing to to really make these people no longer enemies, I guess, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. And of course, the Assyrian moon god is Sin. So, <laughs> wow. does that make sense? Thank you. No, I mean, and there are times you feel very strongly that you have to take a stand. You can't allow era to go on when you're your viewpoints are so different. So it's, and, and you see it with Jesus too. He picked his battles. He would, he would not let them there. He's, um, and also uh, goes back to what we discussed last time during the Bible study as well about who are the who Israel. Right. Who's the chosen. Yeah. And it goes to the core of the purpose why Jesus was sent in the first place for the lost sheep of Israel. And back in the day, um, the Israel, the so-called Israel that that time seen themselves as the Israel, but they are not actually the Israel that Jesus sees, that he saw, or he was sent for. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, Jews, the Israel he was sent for 
were all inclusive, including Samaritans. And he didn't sit back and wait for this. I think it was interesting that he didn't sit and wait for the Samaritans to come to him. He went looking for them. Mm-hmm. When your sheep, you know, in one of his parables was about a lost sheep that he kept 99 and went looking for that particular one. And it's an important lesson for me that he did not sit and wait for Samaritans to come looking for him. How important it was for him to go looking for them to the point of asking that woman to give him water. Knowing that he's the one who has the most important water. That's very beautiful. Thank you. That's so true. Thank you. He went seeking out the lost sheep and he saw beyond the differences. He saw beyond the sin behavior. He saw the true true child of God and that's that's what heals and that's true Christ Christianity and he knew love was the only thing that would heal it not not going there and being mean to them and telling them how awful they are and yeah, <laughs> the worst said, humans or whatever I know, <laughs> I know we saw the sons, the sons of thunder right yeah. Yeah. they were getting all wrong and even uh, like you said earlier his disciples follows up on that footstep even after his ascension as well, or when he went to the Greek, I think it was the same purple that led him to go to the Greek and tell them, I brought to you the God that you are worshiping that you didn't know about. Oh, yes. yes. Yeah. The unknown God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So, going after the Lord, yeah, there's you. this guy Cornelius that, that had corresponding visions. Right. And that was the thing. Mm-hmm. Got the idea. God's no respecter of persons. Yeah, that was in our lesson. Thank you. Yeah. Last few weeks. Barry? So I wanted to comment on the movement of people. Um, so it was mentioned that the Syrians uh, conquered the northern kingdom. Um, this was in 721 BC. So after they did that, they took a lot of the Jews away, as was mentioned, right, from the northern kingdom. But then they brought in people from Assyria, okay? So the Samaritans are, you know, a mixture of the people who came from Assyria and Jewish people, right? But uh, the other interesting thing is, so a lot of the Jews were taken away from the Northern Kingdom, and uh, a lot of them were taken to the area of um, Eastern Turkey, Hmm. which interestingly, um, when we come up to the time of um, uh, Jesus and, and you know his uh, and the apostles and disciples, um, the Christian communities were really uh, established by the Jews that were taken from the Assyrian kingdom back then when the Northern Kingdom was conquered. So we're talking about you know a lot of cities that we're aware of like uh, Ephesus, mm-hmm. Cappadocia. You know, that whole string of um, cities in eastern Turkey where there was a lot of Christianity. Uh, mm-hmm. well, those are, just interesting the seven, movement and mix of people. Yeah, seven churches of Revelation, then you're saying. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That is. A, a few of us had watched this documentary before, this Professor Fairchild that keeps going over yeah. it again, like, <laughs> Oh, yeah. researching and everything. Yeah. But when in one of his trips, he ended up finding what 
turned out to be the oldest synagogue in, in the world. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In Turkey. Yeah. It was fascinating to yeah. see all those things in Turkey. And also the, the how much they love the people, the kindness of the people. <laughs> was, yeah. uh, everywhere he went. Yeah. That means a lot. It does. You know, this contention with the Jews and the Samaritans has a, a relation to us today because it looked like a lot of it related to this intent to preserve the true idea of God and what's right. And the way they went about it was through uh, a literal intellectualism, which leads to self-righteousness. And that leads to accusations of the others that aren't as good enough to be with you, which <laughs> leads to hatred and animosity. I mean, what a downfall in preserving the right idea. <laughs> but here again, it kind of relates to what happened to the Christian science movement, too, because there were those that are supposedly in authority. And I just read somewhere where Mrs. Eddy criticized the board of directors for having five churches under discipline all at the same time. And said, for what purpose? And that's where she came in the statement that says, if you know that Christian science is the right way, the only way, then that's all you need to qualify for church membership. And not only that, in no one, yes, on page 41, you can hear Mrs. Eddy saying, if you're expecting to find perfection in churches and human associations, that's a vain thing. So I think the point is here, if we can have a little compassion and understanding, we're here to help people. Remember, in the definition of church, it's, it provides utility for society. It doesn't break down society. So, but if you have this stern approach, like who's good enough to be with us, how many people are you going to have in your church? Not too many. Yeah, no. no. And so now's a good time to tell them about Peter B. Ross. What happened to him? Well, yeah, we found out that, you know, he was very much beloved. He lectured around the entire world. He lectured to more than three million people. And he was reputed for being responsible for bringing countless thousands of people into Christian science. His popularity and success was quite notable, but evidently it got the ire of those that were in charge. They, were, they didn't have the, nearly the understanding that he did, so they were looking for some fault to pin on him because of their jealousy of him. And so he, they made an accusation against him, and he did not try to defend himself. He didn't get into that tit-for-tat battle against, yes, he did, no, he didn't. He stripped him of his lectureship, of his teacher status, of his practitioner, and he made the comment, I guess this is the point where we break loose from organization. He passed away a broken man. We had heard rumors about all of this, but um, Bruce found the, what was the book? Christian Science Today, Power, Policy, Practice. Thank you. It was something Thomas sent us. Yeah, something Thomas sent us. Yeah. So, any, anyway, but this is what all of this fighting and arguing and carrying on does. Um, it leads to no good. And I, I know most of you, if not all of you, have read Peter B. Ross and... You can tell again his soul speaks, and it's it's a beautiful soul. So, anyway, 
in Christian science as well as um, other religion are um, practicing um, the word of God properly, you will attract people. That's just the purpose. You can't help it. If you are doing the work of God, um, history has proved it. People will seek you. People help by you from across the Atlantic borders. They will come seeking. Even in the time of, was it isn't Solomon in the Bible that Solomon, Solomon that a point from Ethiopia heard by look at the distance back in the day that uh, somebody like a queen can go a distance to seeking uh, uh, to to stand in front of him and you mentioned the chosen uh, I think one of the significant parts of the chosen was and one of the uh, the cause of the problem in the chosen was uh, the people coming from uh, countries to seek Jesus Christ, and they were setting up tents, and the the Romans didn't like it. So that was one of the reasons why uh, um, the problem started in the first place. Uh, I forgot the term they used to describe them. Tents, tents, yeah, yeah. And also read about Mississippi. Um, when, he, when she went to Chicago, people were coming from all over the world to listen to her wonder about the conference. Yeah. And where people came from Germany, all over Europe, as far as Australia. And you can tell how much it means to them uh, to travel that distance, back in which it wasn't easy to make that kind of journey. Right. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Tom. Okay, question number two. How did the Samaritan woman know who Jesus was? Now, I reference in here in John 4, uh, verses 15, 29, 39, because uh, there's different states of the conversation going on between the two. Like A lot of times people focus on the Samaritan woman, recognize him as a Jew, right? But... Um, and then there was some arguing back and forth. Um, but uh, what I'm referring to is she, she knew who Jesus was. So how did she know that, though? Um, because, you know, she said, isn't this, the, isn't he the Christ? So she knew. But how did she know? Well, there was a reason why Jesus was sent to that well at that time. She uh, was kind of a rebel in her own country. Uh, you know, she was looked down upon, but she, um, you know, she had a, she, she was an honest and person and uh, a bit of a fighter, a, 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 you know. Um, so she was a receptive thought. I mean, you know, think of think of Paul before he, you know, when he was Saul. You know, he 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 was a 
fighter for the wrong side until he saw the truth, but he had an honest conviction. She had an honest conviction. That's why he was sent to her. And when, and when Jesus told her things about her life that nobody outside of Samaria would even have a clue, that kind of, you know, that triggered something in her that made her recognize who and what Jesus was. And, 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 you know, God spoke to her, told her to believe this guy. Yeah, it's in the lesson this week. It was her spiritual sense speaking to her and recognizing the Christ. And along that line, I, I loved, I uh, read Matthew, Matthew Henry says, note, quote, how the divine providence brings about glorious purposes by events which seem to us fortuitous and accidental, unquote. And also, quote, he is found of them that sought him not. So beautiful. It is. Yeah. yeah. I, I found in the commentary these things made her rather extraordinary. And, and um, well, as Gary said, she was a bit of a, a rebel, questioning and seeking. And it said that when uh, Jesus met her, in his eyes, no one is too far gone. He has a purpose for each one of us. He'll never let us alone. And he's always right there with us. And, um, and then, and he was unfazed by her sin. But then she did stay with him. You know, she she didn't run off or but she stayed and asked questions of him. Um, how can you ask me for a drink? Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our the father Jacob? I mean, that took some intelligence and, and uh, staying power to do that. She didn't run. She didn't go, but she pursued. And, and I'm, I'm bringing these out because. You know, all of us can have some Samaritan woman in us where we think maybe we're far too gone or or would not realize that the Christ seeks us out and that he's always with us and nothing is ever too far gone, ever. And that maybe we better just stay and question what's happening. Um, there was no running from him. No matter how hard you try, Jesus, Jesus is always there. And then... She received the filling. Jesus is offering. He's always offering. The giving of Jesus is guaranteed. But the receiving on our end can be the stumbling block. She was willing to receive. Um, receiving is hard, especially when we believe we're too far gone. These are all deep lessons, especially when you feel you're too far gone. Don't, don't. Christ is with you. And then, and this I thought was very interesting, she desired to go and to do. The filling not only filled her longing, but it gave her a new desire to use her energy to go out and live her purpose, to share the gospel and to become a disciple. 
The woman at the well is an example of love, truth, redemption, and acceptance. And, you know, that was so beautifully portrayed in The Chosen with the woman at the well, wasn't it? Where she just yes. was so joyous and she was running. I can't wait to tell everybody. Yeah, she was totally, totally born. You see her the next time she wants the disciples to come to her house. You know, she's just a, just a totally new person. Um, but then, yes, it, it showed good the good seed because she didn't just take it for herself. She wanted to share it. And and when you really get this truth, that is how you feel. You don't just sit back and mull it over for yourself. You want to go out and shout it from the rooftops. Yeah, so there are other people that are feeling the same way you used to feel. Yes. And you want that as well. Thank you. Yes. Yes. And it's unbounded yeah. joy and love and yeah, Jesus was sent to her because she represented all those qualities yeah. and she was willing to see him. She wasn't too far gone. Well, it does seem like if you feel you're too far gone, that actually just means you're like right on the doorstep. <laughs> exactly. You know, that was a precious moment between this woman and Jesus because for one thing, they were alone. There weren't any letting contending other opinions interfering with this and between the two of them they could just hash it out and without yes. being obstructed yes. and look at the result precious moment that was there yes that's right it was just the two of them no no disciples saying what are you doing and why are you doing this and sneering at her but just that mm. time alone yeah thank you for saying that about her asking the questions too because you know in the chosen Mary Magdalene was talking to Tamar, and talk, and one of the things she said was specifically about how, like, why Tamar would feel that she had the right to say something. Yeah. Bad. So Mary may not have, in the beginning, asked right. questions. You know, yes. it, it took more than that for her, but this lady was ready right away. <laughs> yeah, and that was, you know, here she was a woman, here she was a Samaritan, every reason to keep her mouth shut. Because women were so downtrodden then, but she didn't. As Gary said, she had that rebellious. <laughs> she was, she's okay. Want to talk to me? I'll talk to you too. <laughs> well, she was, she, she was seeking. Yes, she was. She was seeking, yes. seeking something better. She had a little bit of faith. She had a little bit of hope. And when Jesus, when she, when she was there with Jesus. That little bit of faith and that little bit of hope came through. Great companions mm -hmm. such as these. Led to a lot of joy. Mm -hmm. And a lot. A lot of joy. And she also knows. It's not like she she's somebody who wasn't aware of the law of God. She because she told Jesus, our fathers worship in this mountain, which means she Except she didn't know who Jesus was. She knew about God. Except also, the people were worshiping. Yeah. So Christ came to show them the right way to worship God. But she yeah. told Jesus, our father worship him. She knew about Jacob. Yeah, I was just going to say, she knew, that's right. She knew the wet, Jacob, she knew the importance of the well. She knew yeah. her, her history. Um, mm -hmm. And she knew that her the Samaritans were not a lost cause. They they stem from something right. good. 
as sinful as the Jews saw them. In her case, she definitely was living a sinful life based on the way she was. But Jesus Jesus saw beyond that. The way she saw with Mary Magdalene. Yes. And she didn't cast them away like the Jews wanted to do to them. Yeah, when they wanted to throw them off. I know. Thank you. And that's brought out a lot that that his own people wouldn't see him, but all the Gentiles, everybody else did. So that's a big lesson in itself. They were willing, they were ready, they were ready, they'd suffered Mm -hmm. enough, they were ready. While his own people, they were the ones that that didn't accept him and, and who he had to was the, the self-righteousness that he had to rebuke so strongly in the Pharisees. Well, um, Mary, what you're saying is so true, uh, but we also have to see that the, uh, the people who rebuked Jesus, it's like the factions we have today. Not all Christian scientists, we express a very different form of Christian science than some other people do. So I would say that perhaps we need to see this as being those who didn't express Judaism as it is, you know, he did, which is very inclusive for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's that's a big, that's the point. <laughs> he included everyone. So um, I wanted to bring up what, what I put in the notes. Um, in Science and Health on page 85, Mary Baker Eddy writes about the value of intuition and she writes that the Samaritan woman said come see a man which told me all things that ever I did is not this the Christ so when she's talking about the value of intuition she uses the Samaritan woman as an example yeah. and then what we see in the uh, um, scientific interpretation of Psalm 91 uh, she writes, uh, for he shall give his angels, in parentheses, spiritual intuitions, charge over me to keep me in all my ways. So think about this. This is uh, uh, a Samaritan woman which has all that crazy stuff about how they believe, right? Um, but uh, somehow she had spiritual intuition is what I'm reading into this, you know, that angelic thought was with her so it doesn't matter what your background is where you came from uh who you are um everybody's included thank you that's beautiful thank you yeah and sometimes the ones who've had the hardest times are the ones who are most intuitive and and do have that about them because they've had to kind of fight for everything so yeah that's a very good Thank you. Yeah, kind of does the same thing too when she says, Is he not the Christ? Which I thought she was also expecting Christ. There was a, a huge hunger, big expectation of Christ, not just on the Jews, but even the Samaritans. Yes, also. thank you. She was also yeah. expecting Christ. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. And you know, the fact she could say a man that told me all the things I did, it's like she relinquished any shame or anything like that. It was all gone. She was healed of that. Otherwise, she wouldn't have said that. It was like, oh, he knew well everything about me and he still loves me. It's it's over now. It's all over. Well, you have said before that if you're truly healed, you can talk about it freely. If you're truly healed, you can talk about it freely. 
It's only when you're not that you still want to cover it up and not say anything. When you really healed, you can say it. You see it as impersonal error. It was never you. And you can. And that's the true test if you've been healed, truly. And she was. Thank you. Matthew Henry said something along this line. The woman acknowledged Christ to be a prophet, the power of his word in searching the heart and convincing the conscience of secret things is a proof of divine authority. But that Christ told her that I that speak to thee am he, referring to that he was the Christ. She was an alien and a hostile Samaritan. Merely speaking to her was thought to disgrace our Lord Jesus. Yet to this woman did our Lord reveal himself more fully than as yet he had done to any of his disciples. No past sins can bar our acceptance with him if we humble ourselves before him, believing in him as the Christ, the Savior of the world. I thought that was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Very beautiful. I like the fact that her enthusiasm and understanding multiplied and really helped the people accept the Christ because he stayed two days. Yes. And they they accepted him. Mm -hmm. Yes. Changed that whole city. Yeah. Well, and under talked about aspect of this story, which actually I think is so fascinating to me, is that Jesus spent two days with the Samaritans teaching them. Uh, this is how much they opened up to Jesus, right? They, to accept him into their homes and have him teach them for two days. That's quite significant, I think. Thank you, yes. Yeah, they invited him. Yeah, they were hungering. They desperately wanted him. It was fertile ground. So for us ever to think that there's certain people or you know that wouldn't be interested is, is wrong. I mean, it's terribly wrong. The world is ready for Christian science. Yes, we must know daily the world is ready for Christian science. Expect it. That's why when you ever get an opportunity to share it, do share it. Don't hold back. Share it. Now's the time. I know there was a time maybe when it didn't seem so, but now, now is the time. I, I, every chance I get, you don't have to preach or say much, but you can say, well, God inspired me. Just bring it back to God. People, people want to hear that. They need it now. They're desperate for it. I've never found one that, that hasn't been. And if you so do, it, Jesus said, wipe the dust off your feet and just go on. Go so it seems to me that this is uh, partly a story of evangelism. Uh, because we talked earlier about how the Jews don't have dealings with the Samaritans. Now we just talked about how Jesus spent, was invited and taught them for two days. So we can think as evangelists that uh, we shouldn't pay too much attention to why we can't talk to someone, why we can't bring Christianity to some group of people, you know, that there are barriers for doing this. Well, 
Jesus showed us in the story with the Samaritan woman that there are no barriers. I mean, this 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 wall between the Samaritans and Jews was pretty big. Yeah, it looked. He broke through it. Yes, you know, I, I often think in the twenty third Psalm, Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies, my so called enemies. Well, I mean, I ponder what that meant. Well, I think this is what it means. You know, you can be in the midst of so-called enemies and God is preparing you a table to, to meet, to talk, to converse, total safety. If your motive is is to, yeah, spread yeah. the gospel. Um, I, I think that's what that's what it means to me anyway. We must never fear that or think we have any enemies, as Mrs. Eddy says in her beautiful article, something you conjure up in your own thought in that beautiful article. John. And she prayed that her enemies would become thy friends. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Tom. Okay, so we'll do our uh, third question. Um, what is the quote? Living water, unquote. So this is from John chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. So what is the living water? Isn't it the science of Christianity? <laughs> that we are privileged to have in a textbook and other writings? I mean, all of the all of this uh, factions and antagonism and hatred is all due to a limited concept of God, a limited concept of our own existence, isn't it? Mm -hmm. we, we 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 judge by outward appearance. Instead of judging from the heart, and the science science teaches us what is true. The science teaches us how to live. Science teaches us that there is no limitation, and the science teaches us that we of the brotherhood of all mankind. What else, what, what more could there possibly be? And the science teaches that we, we not only can, but we have to go directly to God. We, other religions, it's as though the priest or whatever is the well that you have to go to. But that is not what God really wants for us. He wants that understanding within us to, to be that well coming up for each of us thank you yes thank you. carrie sent me a, a beautiful article on this by william mccracken who's one of my favorite writers water of everlasting life and uh, i think it's worth sharing what he writes <clears throat> Humanity is a, is a thirst for the water of life. It has been 
offered water as bitter as gall by false, false theology. The hemlock of martyrdom is requital for the desire to reform the world and stupefying potions to appease the longing for self-forgetfulness. These nostrums do not contain the living water of which Jesus spoke of to the Samaritan woman. Rather, did he say to her, whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Then this individual belonging to the weaker sex, talking about the Samaritan woman or so-called weaker sex, and to a semi-adulterous and despised nation, uttered the words which are being wrung today from countless millions. Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Many centuries after this incident here described another woman, which is what Gary was saying, speaking with the authority of spiritual revelation, wrote in her epic-making textbook, Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures, page 570, millions of unprejudiced minds, simple seekers for truth, weary wanderers of thirst in the desert are waiting and watching for rest and drink. Give them a cup of cold water in Christ's name and never fear the consequences. Whoever at this hour can assure the fearful and doubting that the only real life is eternal is giving the thirsty to drink of Christ's living water and is being blessed while blessing others. This river of this river of water of life is without end. Its tributaries correspond to the ever-flowing activities of spirit. There is no stagnation in that river or its branches with irresistible impulsion. They flow and overflow until there is not one spot in all creation which is not permeated with this living water. All mankind can drink of it, be refreshed, strengthened, and sustained by it. It purifies and beautifies. It causes the flowers of loving kindness and rejoicing to grow. It brightens the meekness of the grass, the birds of the air as aspirations bathe in its pool. The surface of this living water reflects the glories of the universe, outlines man's at one at one minute God, and reproduces and multiplies the infin, infinitude of an ever-acting life without end. And then he goes on to say, and I think this is important too, the drinking of the water of life enables the spiritually minded to fulfill Jesus's promise. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. Poisoned wells cannot harm the army of the Lord, nor can the inhaling of gas gases asphyxiate when the power of God as mind is scientifically understood. The material cup of intoxication cannot be substituted for the spiritual cup of thanksgiving when Christian science stands guard over human consciousness. Yeah. It's really a beautiful article. We should have it in the um, goes into all the all the thoughts about the living water and how we have we've been offered other waters that have not been satisfying. That would the be a good subject for a for a liberator. 
Oh, yeah, maybe a good subject for the liberator, Absolutely. the living waters of truth. Yeah. William McCracken. And thank you, Carrie, for sending it. Talked about potions in there, and I yes. just remember that God's preparations for the sick are yes. potions of his own qualities. Thank you. Thank you. That's such a good statement by Mrs. Eddy. Potions of his own qualities. That's what that's the potions we give to the sick. Start <laughs> expressing him and you'll find you'll feel a lot better. Thank you. Well, thank you. One, one, um, in the case of the Samaritan woman, she definitely received it because she took Christ and gave it to me, which, as you can tell, Christ gave it to her by her accepting Christ into her life. And today, I believe we have the opportunity as well. Um, through Mr. Sadi, we have uh, Christian Science, and we as well, just like the Samaritan. And accept it as the only way. And quite frankly, that's the only way we can live through that little world about living through living Christian science and our daily lives. And it's also easy to lose access to the living world because when you walk away from the knowledge of God, you lose access to that world. It's not that the what it's not that the water is not there. Like you said, it's overflowing, it's always there, flow onto eternity. But how many is drinking from me? That's right. right. Well, and that and that gets us back to another point that we brought out earlier, but I think is really, really important, and that is the those who are most uncomfortable with their mortal life are often the most receptive to the truth. Thank you. And those who are most comfortable in their mortal life are not receptive. We all need to become very uncomfortable with this mortal sense of existence before we have the strength and the willingness, if you will, to strive for the truth. And that is why we, we, we shouldn't ever get very comfortable <laughs> in this mortal sense of existence, because that's not going to be useful. There's never any really need. There's never really any satisfaction, though, in just, you know, doing this material thing. It's and when the soul, you know, so, yeah, it's true. And isn't that a good thing? <laughs> it's a good thing, yeah. It's a good thing. Sometimes. And that's what is turning everybody now. Everybody, a lot of people are seeking God now. They, they found the other empty, so. Thank you. Yes. Yep. Millions of them. So I, I wanted to say, like, how significant, and I didn't really sink in until... I spent some time working on this story, but how significant and revolutionary this story is. Because Jesus says that, you know, there will be a time where you're not going to worship in Jerusalem and you're not going to worship in that mountain, meaning uh, Mount Gerizim, that their temple, right? So 
Samaritans had their temple. The Jews had their temple, and that's where they worshipped, right? Um, but each one thought that their temple was the right temple to be worshipping in. And then Jesus says, no, it's not any one of those temples, right? He says that you'll yeah. worship God in spirit and in truth. So this is kind of revolutionary. He's smashing all the stuff about the Jews and about the Samaritans and bringing everybody together. So it's just awesome, like how, how much he's including people from whatever background you are. Um, that uh, you know, we worship God in spirit and in truth. In, in yeah. Reverend Domino's, um, I think he's in Cambridge, England. He says that the, to worship in spirit is with true inner reverence. And then to worship in truth is true holiness of life. It's a practical piety, really. It's not these pretentious, oh yeah, blah, blah, blah. But it's actually living it practically. Living the truth, which we find in Christian science. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And, uh, I mean, I think I can probably say that Christian science today represents the, uh, the uh, living water because, like Tom said, in this conversation, I think it happened maybe a few minutes, but the entire Jesus mission was explained in that few conversations with this woman, the purpose of his coming and mm -hmm. the significance of, of it, the blessing that follows it, and this living water and force. Since I was a little kid, I saw that story, I have no idea what it means, but it, it just inspired me. For I don't know why, but and today we have Christian science, we have the revolution of the stuff Mississippi, how Christian science revolutionized the world through her teaching, and you see what it can do. We are, we are today, we are the living example of it, what Christian science can do, how it can change your life, how, like you read from that article, it just destroys every belief in sin, sickness, disease. I mean, I think for me, this is what it is. Accepting Christian science and living it every day. It's, Thank you. It's the, it's the living water. You know, Alinda and Shardell have this little Plainfield playtime. It's a little nursery school once a week. And uh, when... Benjamin's little boy Stephen was there and his little girl Sloan and they were they were building a, a tent <laughs> to live in and and the thing that that Stephen went to get to bring to the tent the first thing that he wanted in the tent was the Bible and I thought that was so beautiful he wanted the tent in the Bible or yeah the Bible in the tent yeah. so it was a beautiful story and and a beautiful story of Benjamin living this truth that this little boy would think that was the most important thing to have in his little home. And, and uh, Florence, tell them what you told me about the man who plays Gaius in The Chosen. You know, that he, he wasn't a, a religious man and 
Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and Amanda, the wife of Dallas uh, Jenkins, who is the writer of The Chosen, had told him that he is more of a Christian than most Christians she knows. And this is what has, she, he always kept this in his heart. And it made a big difference in his life. Thank you. Yeah, he's Gaius. He's the one that plays the centurion who had the son that was healed. Anyway, I thought that was such a beautiful story. Thank you. It's, it's true, though, isn't it? There are lots of people who really, they don't call themselves Christians, but their hearts are in the right place. They are. So God knows about that. They, they live it. It's so true. Thank you. I was uh, wanting to share the this hymn. I won't read the whole thing, but I think it's very beautiful. I, it's hymn 330 from the Christian Science Hymnal in lines 2 and 3. Where streams of living water flow, my ransomed soul he leadeth. And where the verdant pastures grow, with food celestial feedeth. Perverse and foolish, off I strayed, but yet in his love he sought me. And on his shoulder gently laid, and home rejoicing brought me. That's very beautiful. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, Faith. I would like to, <laughs> Go ahead. Um, I would like to add something I found about the term living water. Um, Jesus kind of used that as an analogy. The Jews referred to living water prior to this time as um, moving water that moved, moving water like streams or springs or rivers and so forth, as opposed to water that was stagnant or still or that sort of thing. And so when he used that term living water, he was using that in, um, how do we say, from sense to soul, using those terms in the, the sense part to, to illustrate the soul of living water or the truth about living water, what real living water is, in that it it moves us and it brings us to newness of life. And I just thought that was a real interesting way of looking at it. Yes, right. Thank you. And it never stops. No. <laughs> okay, anyone else? We, we also have that quote that you share often by Mrs. Eddy in Miscellaneous Writings. Quote, as you journey and betimes sigh for rest beside the still waters, ponder this lesson of love, learn its purpose, and in hope and faith where heart meets heart, reciprocally blessed, drink with me the living waters of the spirit of my life purpose to impress humanity with the genuine recognition of practical, operative Christian science. Beautiful. Maybe a good place to end. That couldn't be better than the living waters of her life. That'll keep everybody happy and going forward. It's an amazing well, class. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you very much, Tom, and thank everybody you. else. And all, all of you, yeah. Such a good, good idea. Thank you. Yeah, I just want to add, I hope that we all see when we talk about the bringing the two worlds together, the Jews and the Samaritans, right? And that uh, 
this is what we're doing in our Bible study and everything else we do, right? We're we're reaching out to the world. That's right. Absolutely. No barriers. This is true. That's why it's very beautiful to be here with all of you. Come drink the living water. Come drink the living waters with us. Yes. Thank you, Sari. Yes. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.